0: Welcome to the Vineyard Northridge Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by our senior pastor, Neil Haney. For more information about our church, visit our website at vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge. Well, last week, Dennis launched uh, our new series called Biblical Fellowship. And uh, the title of my message this morning is The Importance of Gathering Together. And I want to give you a kind of a working relation or a working definition of relationship, biblical fellowship, Uh, and, and it is this: the reality of God's presence intensified when believers come together. Okay, let me let me say that again: the reality of God's presence intensified when believers come together. That's one of the main reasons. That we gather together. Now, things happen when we gather together, and I'm going to talk about that, that this morning. So, I want to talk about the importance of gathering together. But last week, Dennis kicked us off with a wonderful message about what true biblical fellowship is and why we need it. And it's the body of Christ, uh, the, the, the believers in Christ coming together to be able to practice the, the sixty one and others of Scripture of the New Testament. To experience the presence of God in a way that only happens when we're together like this, whether it be in worship, in the teaching of the word, in prayer meetings, in ministering to one another, uh, wherever God's people gather, Jesus said he promises to be there in the midst. And so the last thing he said was that the eternal God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have lived in eternal fellowship with one another in this incredible family of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they have invited us into this, into this family circle with them. But we're not just to share it with them vertically, but we're to share it with them horizontally. And so that, is, that was a powerful message. So this morning, I just kind of want to build on that. And, uh, and I want to talk about an actual mandate in Scripture to never stop fellowshipping together. There's a mandate in Scripture in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, that basically says, do not stop meeting together like this. Now, I want to take just a second to explain something to you. I am a recovering legalist. Anybody relate to that? I know know many of you are, um, because we've had conversations, but... But I grew up in a very legalistic church background and, uh, you know, the, the shame on you, the you shoulda, coulda, woulda, you know, that stuff. And, and um, I, I saw everything as a performance-based uh, reality in terms of, of my religion, quote-unquote, which I hate. Rel- religion is, is, is exactly what I was dealing with. And, and religion is not what we're doing here. And so... Um, when I got into the New Testament and I started reading the mandates of, of Scripture, uh, for example, you get into chapter 4 of the book of Ephesians, and there are some things that Paul says do and don't do. And, you know, we preached, Dennis and I preached through the first eight chapters of the book of Romans, and Romans 7 tells us very clearly, end of Romans 6 and in the beginning of Romans 7, tells us very clearly that we die to the law. And we're no longer under the law. We're not under the jurisdiction of the law. Uh, and, and so we're, we're, we're in freedom now. We live according to the Spirit. But then I get into Ephesians and it says, well, here's an example. You know, I, it was really confusing to me because what is the difference from thou shalt not steal in the Ten Commandments and Paul's instruction, anyone who has been stealing should steal no longer? It was kind of to me. It was kind of like God was was giving with one hand and taking with the other. It's like we just swapped a list of rules for a list of rules. That's how it felt to me as a recovering legalist. But Dennis wonderfully pointed out a couple weeks ago in his message that in the new covenant, which we're under, we're under the new covenant. See that the old covenant says you're righteous based on how well you keep the law. The new covenant says. You're righteous based on what Christ has done for you. Now this is how you ought to live out of that. There's a, it's the cart before the horse thing. And, and so what Jesus did is he put the horse before the cart, so to speak. Our righteousness is not based on our performing some list of rules. Our righteousness is based on the work of Christ on our behalf. It's a gift from God. It's something we receive. It's not something we earn. And now because We are in Christ because we have his Holy Spirit. We can live out these biblical mandates with joy and peace and excitement because we get to live as Christians in the power of the Spirit. Gospel first, identity in Christ, then Christian living. If you get those backwards, you're back under the law, you're back under religion, and you don't want to live there. It's not a good place to be. (laughs) Does that make sense? All right, I just wanted to, to make sure that we understand, because the writer of Hebrews, so, so gospel first, then how to live as a Christian. The writer of Hebrews is, is doing the same thing. I love the book of Hebrews. I'm not a Hebrew. Uh, it was written to Hebrew Christians. It was written to Messianic Jews who had accepted Jesus as Messiah, and they paid a high price for that. They paid such a high price for that in that once they accepted Jesus as Messiah the majority of Jewish people didn't do that in fact i heard a statistic that only 1% of 1% of Jew, of Jews have actually accepted Jesus as Messiah 1% of 1% and so if you in in the day that this book was written if you stepped outside of Judaism with whatever you were doing, you basically, it's kind of like the, the, the um, Amish, you got shunned. You were put out of the synagogue. That was like a fate worse than death because you couldn't trade. You couldn't, you couldn't relate to your people any longer. You were put outside the camp, and you were not allowed to interact, which sometimes meant starvation. It meant that no one would do business with you if you, if you, were, if you had your, a business, a carpentry shop or whatever, and so there was such persecution that a lot of these Messianic Jews were saying, you know what, I'm going to go along to get along. I'm going I'm to put this new stuff away, and I'm going to go back into Judaism. And the writer of Hebrews is desperately appealing to his brothers and sisters, don't reject the new covenant and go back to the old. It's not worth it. What we have in Christ, what we have in the gospel, what we have in the new high priest, and the sacrifice to end all sacrifices, is all you need. Don't cave in and reject Christ and go back to sacri- the sacrificial system and all that old junk in the old covenant. And so he introduces, he introduces the Lord Jesus Christ as the high priest, as the only high priest. The priesthood, not of the Levites, but of another type of priesthood, he introduces the, the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. And, the, and that's where I want to kind of pick up the text this morning, and then we're going to get to the mandate that I'm talking about, about um, not forsaking, not giving up the gathering together as Christian believers So I want to begin with one of my favorite verses in in the uh, the New Testament. It is Hebrews 10, 14, and and this is what the writer of Hebrews is trying to convey to his hearers that are very, very uh, persecuted and are are abandoning, abandoning their faith to go back to the Old Covenant. For by one sacrifice, the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, he has... Made perfect forever those who are being made holy. I've talked about this. The, per- the perfection is in our spirits. The being made holy is in our mind, will, and emotions, our souls. And so he's helping us to renew our minds, to surrender our wills, and to heal our emotions. It's the Holy Spirit in us that's doing that work. For by one sacrifice, Christ has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this when he says, and this is from Jeremiah, talking about, after those days, says the Lord, I will make a new covenant with my people. Not like the old covenant that they broke because they disobeyed me. Righteousness based on keeping the law, but this is a new covenant. This is the covenant I will make with them after that time. And by the way, we're included in this new covenant. I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. We're talking about renewing the mind. That's what the Holy Spirit's doing. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless acts I will remember no more. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Guys, the blood of Jesus has completely obliterated your sin for all time. That is so good. That is such good news. That is the gospel, part of the gospel. And where these things have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin no longer is necessary. There's no need for any more sacrifices. (laughs) Hallelujah. Jesus was the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. I love that. And then there's that, that word again that keeps popping up when we get to when the gospel's been presented there, then comes the mandates. Then comes that this is how we're supposed to live. Therefore, verse 19, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, now let me just explain that. You see, in the old covenant, there was the tabernacle that was mobile, and then when they, they settled in the land of Israel, when the, the, the Jewish people finally got to the promised land, in Jerusalem they built a, a stationary temple And there was an outer court for the Gentiles. There was an inner court for the Jews. And then there was the Holy of Holies, the most holy place that only the high priest entered once a year to make uh, make atonement, to sprinkle the blood of the slaughtered animal, the sacrifice, on the mercy seat and then on the people so that their sins would be covered for a year until the next day of atonement. And now... We're talking about the writer of Hebrews is saying there is a that was that earthly temple was only a type and shadow of the heavenly temple that we now have access to the real temple that's in heaven. And and the the, the curtain that hung between the people and the holy of holies you remember on the cross when Jesus drew his last breath and said it is finished and he gave up his spirit the very first thing that happened symbolically was that the curtain in the temple was ripped from top to bottom and pushed open, and there had to have been some somebody in there. It was there was somebody doing. It was the day of a you know it was the, the the day of atonement, and that happened right in the presence of somebody doing ministry in the temple. They saw it and reported it, or else we wouldn't have known about it. But that was just a type and shadow of what's happening here, because it says this. We have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. Jesus' body, torn on the cross, was the true curtain that was rent for us so that we could have access into the presence of God. Isn't that awesome? And since we have a great high priest, Jesus, over the house of God, there are, there are five... Things here that start, actually four start with let us, but we're going to make the fifth one let us also. Okay, so five things. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. The blood of Jesus has made our consciences clear. And having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up the meeting together. Here we go. Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. I love this. (laughs) Do not give up the meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. There are five lettuces here. There's iceberg, there's romaine, there's... Kidding. The sermon prep team told me not to do that, but I did anyway. The first lettuce is so awesome. Jesus has removed every barrier from a relationship with the Father. In his own body, in his own blood, the torn curtain of his flesh... The shed blood of his body. He is the sacrificial uh, lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, and he is our high priest, the mediator between us and God. And he has opened the way back to God. And so the writer of Hebrews says don't go back to the old way with all these bloody sacrifices and priests doing, you know, this priesthood that's just always doing all this. Stuff you have direct access to God now yourself. So draw near to Him. The Father's arms are open. Come home. Draw near. With full assurance of faith. Full assurance of faith. There is no need to hide from God anymore. He is not angry with you. He doesn't expect you to keep a bunch of rules so that He's okay with you anymore. Full assurance of faith that you are accepted by the Father through the Son. I love it. And so we're clean. We're clean. Our consciences are cleansed. So that's the first let us. Let us draw near to God. Then let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. By the way, I just want to say this about meeting together and drawing near to God. You know, I draw near to God every morning that I'm able. Last week, we had Revival Ohio. It's every morning, it started at 7.30. I got robbed of my devotional time. That's the only thing about Revival Ohio I didn't like, really, was that I couldn't have my quiet time regularly. But I get up in the morning and I, and I try to spend that, those first couple hours with the Lord before I have to take off to work. And, um, and it's my time with Him. But I'm going to tell you something. Whether I'm... In my quiet time, whether I'm walking with my yeah, earbuds in and, and listening to worship music and, and worshiping the Lord while I'm walking around the neighborhood or you know, whatever I'm doing, I never experience drawing near to God like I do when I'm right here in this in this room with you. There is something about being here during worship where the presence of God is here in power, and I'm entering in with you to worship our Lord, and I I feel the presence of God. I draw near to him in a way that I can on my own. We just gotta be together to do this. The second thing is let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Here's another thing, guys. <laughs> he who promised is faithful. Two weeks ago I preached a sermon and I said, God, we know, Romans 8 Romans 8.28, we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. He promised that and he's faithful to perform. Therefore, in this world where tragedy strikes, we can trust God. Now, I profess that to you in this room. It is good to tell ourselves the truth. It is good to hold unswervingly to the, to the hope of the gospel. But I can do that so much better when I hear Dennis tell me that from this pulpit. When he proclaims the truth and professes the faithfulness of God and the promises of God, I'm able to take that in and ingest it, believe it, and walk in it for the next week. Do you see what I'm saying? We profess hope and we hold unswervingly to it, but it's so much easier to do that when we get a regular dose of the truth week after week after week. And I'm going to tell you something right now. The most dangerous place for a Christian. I, I was on the streets, streets of Springfield, where I was with a pastor who said, "The street that we're on right now, every night there almost every night, there's drive-by shootings." <laughs> like, what?" But I felt no danger there. But the most dangerous place for a Christian to be is in isolation. Here's, here's a, a, something you may not know, but you probably experienced if you think about it. When we get by ourselves and we're too long outside of fellowship, we start thinking some really squirrely thoughts. We start thinking some things that aren't true. The enemy, the enemy is always whispering lies. You're no good. You're really, a, you're really a sinner. You don't belong in a church. You don't belong in a small group. You don't, you're not good enough to be with these people. You know, you... You, you really need to do this. You need to do that. This will make you feel better. And we, and, and we just start believing lies. I, I, was, I, I was fascinated. Um, there's a scripture in, um, you know what happens with sheep when they wander away from the flock, right? <laughs> and they get a little bit too far. You know, they're on the other side of the flock from the shepherd, and the, the shepherd might glance away for a second, and the sheep is kind of wandering. There's a wolf or a lion always waiting to grab that sheep and drag it away. Now, it's not, I'm not talking about losing your salvation here. Trust me, I'm not, I don't mean that. But I want to share something with you. Uh, can you put up um, the uh, 1 Peter 5, 8 passage for a moment? I'm just going to take a little detour here. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And Peter is writing this to the church. He's not writing this to, to, to people that don't know Jesus. And look what it says, be alert and of sober mind. Sober mind means that we're thinking the right thoughts. We get squirrely in our thoughts when we're away from the body of Christ. And I want to I read this little commentary, just, just a paragraph. Our enemy, the, de- the devil, desires to devour us, to cause real and lasting harm The Greek word here for devour is uh, something I can't pronounce, but it literally means to swallow or to drown. So he's wanting to to devour us, to swallow us, to drown us. And we can drown in our thoughts, our negativity, thoughts of negativity and condemnation and all this stuff. Peter has made it clear that our place in eternity with our Father is secure. The devil cannot take that from us, but he does seek to damage our faith. He seeks to damage our faith. He wants to he wants us to fear he wants I'm sorry he wants fear to shake our submission to the Father and lies to distort our understanding of God's goodness. Yeah, that's when we start getting squirrely, okay? Since he cannot touch the believer's soul, Satan seeks to leave us as weak and ineffective servants of our king. That's what he wants to do, guys. That's why we got to keep meeting together. we got to hold fast to this hope that we're professing. And let us spur one another on to love and good deeds. That's the third lettuce. I'm going to really focus in on these last three here. Let us spur one another on to love and good deeds. I got to experience that this week with Revive Ohio. Guys, I am a chicken. I... I love doing ministry inside the four walls of the church. But put me out on the streets talking to strangers, I tell you what, I'd, there's a lot of things I'd rather do than be out there doing that. And so this week, every day this week, I, was, I went out once or at least once, but usually twice in the morning and the afternoon to talk to total strangers in areas of Springfield that I would never go by myself but there was something about the instruction before we went out where these guys that are veterans uh, that, that have been doing this stuff for f- four, five, six years get up and, and explain once again how to present the gospel, how to use the Bibles, the wristbands, how to go out, how to, how to start a conversation with a total stranger. Here, If they say this, this is what you say. And, and so I was encouraged. I was, I was instructed. And then we went out in teams of four, where we would have at least one other. So, so you, you, you don't approach a person with four people. You'd split up, and two people would go this way, and two people would go this way. And then we would get back in the van after we had these encounters, and we would talk about what happened. And it was super encouraging to, to cross the chicken line time after time after time, talk to a total stranger. And a lot of these folks really didn't look very friendly when we walked up. But as we convert, you know, the first thing, you, how can we pray for you? We're just out praying for people. How can we pray for you? Half of the wall comes down. And then we, you know, we give them a wristband. We give them a Bible. And they're like, something free? Come on. And then we go through the, the, the gospel presentation and, and say, hey, is there anything keeping you from taking this step? I don't normally do that, folks. I'm embarrassed at how, how few times a year I ever engage someone outside the four walls of this church in an evangelistic encounter like that. And we're told to, to go into the harvest. But with my brothers and sisters, uh, encouraged to, to go out and love strangers, total strangers, loving good deeds. By the way, the word spur there means to, to stir up and to motivate I was stirred up and motivated by the people I was with this week to go out and love total strangers in the love of Jesus. And you know what's weird is, as I talked to these folks that I was afraid of initially, I actually felt the love of God for them. And I was able to actually love them. And we got to, on, on Wednesday, I got to, the Lord highlighted a, a lady in line at, um, at Speedway on Burnett Road. And uh, I knew that I was supposed to talk to her. And so I grabbed, I uh, uh, forget who was with me, um, one of the, oh, it was Bev Comer from, from Revive Ohio. She was one of the people, that, one of the missionaries that came from, from uh, somewhere up north. And uh, she, um, she walked over with me, and we engaged this girl in the parking lot. And we said, I said, hey, how can we pray for you? Well, I don't have a lot of time, but, and then she gave me a prayer request, and we prayed for her. We said, well, hey, here's a wristband, a Bible. She didn't have time to talk to us, and yet she let us lead her through the entire presentation of the gospel, and she accepted Christ right there. Yeah. And she said, she said, you know, normally I come here at 1. For some reason today I came at 11. And we said, well, we know why. This was a divine appointment. We prayed for you before we left the church. But see, guys, I, I'm not in myself able to do that. But I, I had been stirred up, I had been spurred on, I had been motivated to do this. And that's what, that's what it is, life in the body with each other. That's what happens. And then the fourth let is, let us not forsake meeting together. Let us not forsake meeting together. I've told you how important this is to me. I don't know what I would do. I honestly don't know what I would do without you guys. I don't know what I would do without this week after week coming together to be with you, to worship with you, to hear... To hear great messages from Dennis, Uh, you know, I I preach too, but anyway, I just, uh, I love being together, but you know, I just want to tell a couple stories about um, the body of Christ when we're not in the big setting like this. The first one I'm going to tell about, see, I have to have, I have to have a lot of fellowship because I, I just need you. I need you guys and I, and I need my brothers and sisters. And I have two brothers that I've been meeting with for 25 years. Every week for 25 years we've been getting together. We call it accountability group, but we get together, we share, we talk about life. We talk about the buckeyes a little bit, but we talk about life. We share, we we pray for each other, we encourage each other and in 2012 I went through an emotional meltdown. Because of my legalism, because of everything was on me, because I was in a performance mode with the Lord, I reached the end of myself, and I burned out. And I started having anxiety attacks in early in 2012. About once or twice a week, I'd have an anxiety attack. I didn't even know what was happening for a while. By midsummer, multiple anxiety attacks a day. I exhausted my adrenal system, because every time i have an anxiety attack, there was this surge of adrenaline through my body. I completely depleted my adrenal system. I was just a walking shell. Uh, by midsummer, I plummeted into clinical depression, deep major depression. And by uh, mid-fall, I told these guys, I continue to meet with them, thank God. And I told them, I said, brothers, I think I'm going to go and resign this week. I'm, I'm going to step down. I can't do this. I'm hurting the church. They don't need me. I... I'm 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 a drag on everything, and I'm just gonna I think I'm gonna turn in my resignation. And these brothers said, Neil, we love you, brother. We're praying for you. Please don't do this. Let the elders step you down if that needs to happen. Thank God they didn't. But don't pull the trigger yourself. Just give it some more time. And they prayed for me and they encouraged me to stay in the saddle. Guys, I wouldn't be here today had it not been for those brothers. And then my small group that I was in at the time, we met down in the Fireside Hall. And uh, I remember very clearly it was late summer, and and you know I was really in the throes of depression. And, and Deb and I were meeting with this group, and there were probably a dozen people besides us in the group. And they, they just asked me, Neil, how are you doing? They could tell I was hurting. They, they could tell something was wrong. And I, I wasn't... I wasn't hiding it. You know, one of the things I love about this church is you people let me be real. You don't have me on some stupid pedestal. I'm just Neil. I don't even like Pastor Neil. You know, sometimes we have to distinguish who's the guy that's, you know, teaching that morning or whatever. But I just love the fact that most people just know me as Neil. You don't have to call me pastor. I don't call you something else, so, you know. We didn't call him Bishop Jesus or whatever. We just called him Jesus, right? So anyway, um, they said, Neil, how are you doing? And I just broke down and started crying. And you know what they did? They just walked out the door. They said, well, if you're falling apart, we're out of here. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> they, they, they sat, Deb, and I, in the middle of the room on, a, on an ottoman that we had down there, and they surrounded us. And, and all those hands on us felt like a big hug, group hug. And they started praying for us. And I just sat there and wept. And no one cared that I was just, you know, snot running down, you know. Just, nobody cared. They just loved me. And they prayed for me. And they cried with us. There were people crying. Tim Rowe cries a lot, by the way. He was in that group. And he was crying. You know what happened a little bit later is that I went over, I knew that Tim was a safe person and, and I knew that he'd be home. He was having some back problems. He was on disability at the time and so I just found myself driving to his house one day and I walked in and, and I sat down on the couch and I just said, Tim, I'm so exhausted. I'm just, this, this, this depression, this anxiety is just kicking my butt and I said, I just, I, I'm so exhausted. And he said, give me your cell phone and go lay down in our guest room. And he showed me where it was and I went and I laid down and I fell asleep. And, it, and I slept for like an hour and a half, but I kept waking up hearing this noise. And I would fall asleep again and I'd wake up and I'd hear the same noise. The entire time I was sleeping, Tim Rowe was standing outside my room praying for me, out loud. And then I heard two voices. Kelly had come home, and she was out there too, and they were both praying for me. And I finally woke up, and I staggered out of the room, and and they said, come and sit down. And then they prayed for me. And... I was able to start coming back to church and sitting through the sermons. and the, I would sit towards the back, but I needed to be here, and I knew that. And, you know, God restored me after all that, but I don't know what I would have done. I don't know if I'd have ever been back here if it weren't for my accountability group, my small group, and people from our congregation like Tim and Kelly Rowe. And it says, let us encourage one another. All the more. Let us encourage one another all the more as we see the day coming. Do you realize that we're in the year 2022? Someone said this weekend that they believe that all the people groups will be at least touched enough that the Great Commission will be fulfilled by 2025. I don't know if that's true or not. I keep hearing anything from 2025 to 2040. But I'm going to tell you, I believe this, and I don't talk a lot about end-time theology, but I believe this, that we are in the last minutes of the last hour of the last day before the, the return of Christ. Now, when I say day, we're talking about a millennial. <laughs> we're in the sixth millennial. The seventh millennial is the return and rule and reign of Christ for a thousand years. But I believe we're minutes before midnight of that, last, that sixth day. And so we, we have a commission To fulfill. And by the way, it's called, I was reminded by Grant Edwards this this week that it's called a co mission. We're, We're co laboring with Christ and we're co laboring with each other to fulfill that commission. We've got to do it this way and we've got to do it this way. No Lone Rangers in the kingdom. And so we need each other. We need to be together. I'm going to close with a story and then just an encouragement. This story is told, and I'm pretty certain, it's either Dwight L. Moody or, or Charles Spurgeon. I heard this in seminary. I'm pretty sure it was Charles Spurgeon because Moody was a, uh, an evangelist, but Spurgeon was a pastor. And this sounds like something a pastor would do. There's a woman in, in their church who, in his church, that had been a Christian about two years, and she had stopped coming to, to fellowship on, on, you know, on the weekend, And so he got concerned about her, and so he visited her in her home, and uh, he said, we've really missed you at church. He he said, where where have you been? And she said, Pastor, she said, I got hurt by some people that I was close to. I got really hurt, and I just don't feel like I can come anymore. I just just don't want to be hurt anymore. And he said, but you need to be together with the body of Christ. And she said, Pastor, I... I have my Bible, I, I can sit here in front of this fire and I can pray and I can read the word and I can be encouraged. And I, I just want to be here where it's safe. Why do I have to come to church? And Spurgeon sat there for a moment and then he got up and he reached over and took this this uh, these tongs off, off the, uh, the fire set, uh, the little you know, where they have the shovel and the thing. And he reached in the middle of this fire where these red hot glowing embers were and he grabbed one of them and he laid it on the hearth and put the tool back up and sat down and within a matter of seconds this red hot glowing coal or, or ember turned gray just like that. And he said, that's why. It's only in fellowship it's only as we gather together in church, in small groups. And if you have an accountability group, I, I encourage it. But it's in those times of coming together that we stir each other up and we motivate each other and we keep each other hot and we, we encourage each other to cross the chicken line, to pray for people and to minister to people and to pray for healing and lead people into, into salvation. It's only as we do that that we remain hot Guys, there are too many Christians that have turned gray and cooled off, and they're no longer functioning. We need each other. And I encourage you to grab one of those brochures, take it home, pray it over, fill the the card out, bring it back, and jump into a small group as we get ready to go into the fall, because this is going to be awesome. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Lord, we hear your call not to forsake the assembling together. The enemy is looking for those people, those those sheep that wander off into the outskirts and get devoured by the enemy. I mean, the enemy's looking for those folks. God, I pray that we'll stay together. We'll encourage each other. We'll motivate each other. We'll stir each other up to love and good works. And we'll encourage each other all the more as we see the day fast approaching when we can no longer do evangelism. <laughs> we can no longer do healing because that time has passed. Lord, we want to do that now. We want to fulfill your commission with each other and with you. And so keep us together, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information about our church, visit vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at vineyardnorthridge